on this week's episode of Strange Pathways, three amazing tales of terror from the forest. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Strange Pathways. I am your host, Scott Mort. I'm having a... I'm having a day, but I hope you're having a wonderful day as well. I am going through a major house cleaning. And whenever I say major, I do mean major. Uh, and my house is, um, it's too big. It's, it's way too big. I've cleaned the third and second floor. Uh, my lovely wife, Ariana, is working on the first floor. And I'll be honest, I didn't think I was going to get to record tonight. I don't know if I'll get this out before midnight. I'm really pushing it. It's 9.36 p.m. Eastern Standard Time right now. And I've done very little on this this week. So my apologies if this is kind of ramshack one quick. But I really wanted to get a show out for you guys. Anyway, on to this week's tales. Our first tale is going to take us all the way back to February of 1954, Peekskill, New York. Our witnesses are one Mr. and Mrs. Forrester. Now, Mr. and Mr. Forrester, they're not from Peekskill. They're actually driving up there to, to upstate New York. Mr. Forrester wanted to check on some property they had bought. They were planning on building a summer home. Honestly, I'm feeling like I may do the same thing, but a little further south, thinking somewhere in the Carolinas. So I get that. I get that whole going to buy some land, check it out, let's see what we got. So they they get to that that entrance of the property. Now this entrance, it's it's a forested area. This entrance is a dirt trail. It, they really don't feel like they should take the car back. So Mr. Forrester pulls the car off the highway and they begin to walk. Now it's, it's really, really wooded. And to walk back, they have to walk back about, about 300 yards. So that's quite a distance through the woods. That's three football fields. This, this area then drops off in a steep bank and it continues to the slope of, of the mountain. They walk around for a little bit, talk about, oh, we could put it here. We could put the house here. Where are we going to get this? Where are we going to get that? What do you think of this spot? And they, they kind of get lost in, in what they're doing. It starts to get dark and they decide, eh, we're going to, we're going to make our way back to the car. Now, with all the walking they've done, they're about a mile deep in the woods at this point. Something, something gets Mrs. Forrester's attention. She's seeing a light from between the trees. Mr. Forrester, instead of feeling fear, he, he felt like he was in an exceptionally good mood. He was calm. 
didn't really think twice about it and just just began to walk toward the light. He walks about 200 feet. He gets to this large rock. He rounds it. And that's whenever Mr. and Mrs. Forrester, they spot a brassy, gleaming object on the ground. Not really on the ground, maybe just above it. And there's a figure standing right next to it. And this figure is female. It's undeniably female. Mr. Forrester remains calm. He doesn't feel any fright. He studies it. And he's trying to get get a look inside this object. There was a door on on the on the side. So he's trying to like angle himself around, trying to get a look inside, but inside of this craft, it's hazy. All he can see are a few clear glass-like rods and they have bluish spheres on the end. Maybe a little bit of black piping. Now this this brassy collared flying object the top was it, it appeared dimpled like it, it had been hammered. It was it, it was kind of like I don't want to say a golf ball but you know just like somebody had had done this by hand. The bottom had a gleam of stainless steel that dull and shiny at the same time. Pipes are coming out of the bottom of the top. His words, not mine. Out the bottom of the top. And they went down the edge of the object. Now this female alien, crypto-terrestrial entity... She's wearing a black rubber-like hood that goes about halfway down her back. And it seems like it's inflated. Mr. Forrester can see this thing pulse, almost like it's breathing. The woman's fingers, they they were really, they seemed almost tentacle-like. Forrester thought that he saw them bend the wrong way at one point, but he wasn't sure. The strange light may have caused this illusion. The woman was holding a tube, and it goes back into the port in one hand, and a black box with a wire attached to the other. She has this plastic-like mask over her face, wearing goggle-like lenses. The woman's eyes, they glowed. They shone through her goggles. At this point, whether it was fear that should have always been there, it was just shock wearing off, or maybe something spotted him and put fear into him. Much like, you know, we talk about Instances with the Mothman, where the fear is there, but it's so much fear, it feels out of proportion. So whether he was just in shock and he became afraid, or something put fear into him, the whole thing hits him like a ton of bricks. This is not something I should be seeing 
Mr. Forrester begins to shake like a leaf, and his wife, his wife takes him by the hand. And she starts gripping his hand until both of them are in pain. They're frozen right to the spot. Mr. Forrester wants to leave. He pulls at his wife, but she's stiff as a board. She She's not able to move. He yanked at her, shook her up a little bit. And he gets her and he drags her into the car and they gun the motor. And they just drive full speed for about three miles. Finally, that distance between them and whatever it is they saw, it felt, I'm not going to say safe, but safer. Mr. Forrester can kind of come to himself a little bit, check the situation as it were. Mr. Forrester and I feel like, I feel like we have a lot in common because the first thing he does is checks on his wife, which would be the first thing that I would do. She's white as a sheet. Her mouth is moving, but she can't talk. Mr. Forrester, he goes to start the car, but he finds he can't drive. His hands and his feet are shaking so, so badly. I've been in that situation, not from, not from fear, but from illness. Where like, I was trying to control the mouse at work. I was, I was working in a call center. Terrible places. If you work in a call center, all my sympathy in the world. But like, my hand was shaking. I was so sick. And I just, I couldn't make the mouse work. Now, after a little time had passed, the location was examined. There was signs. There was signs that some heavy oval object landed there. There was an impression. There, it looked like the area had been trampled over, but something heavy and oval was sitting there that wasn't sitting there anymore. Our next tale is going to take us back to November 9th, 1979, the Detchmont Woods, Livingston, West Lothian, Scotland. Robert Taylor was a forestry worker, but not just any forestry worker. Robert Taylor was also a war hero, a good church-going man who was a teetotaler. Please keep, keep all that in mind. His wife is waiting for him to come home one day whenever Robert bursts in through the door. His his demeanor is best described as disheveled. His his clothes are torn and Robert has cuts on his chin and his knees. 
Now, Robert's wife ends up calling the police. And they treat everything that happened to Mr. Taylor as an assault. They ask him what happened. And Mr. Taylor said, I saw a 30-foot high dome-shaped object in a clearing in the forest near the West Lothian Newtown. Mr. Taylor could deal with that. What Mr. Taylor couldn't deal with were the two spiked spheres that rolled out toward him and grabbed him. Mr. Taylor remembers the strong smell of burning, a sulfurous smell, and then nothing. Be it from fear or something induced by the spiked spheres that have him, he loses consciousness. When Mr. Taylor comes to, the clearing's empty. No craft, no spheres. But there, there is a pattern of deep marks in the ground. Mr. Taylor had been out checking the fences, so he had his work van. Miss, Mr. Taylor was so shaken that he tried he tried driving the van home, but instead he drove the van into a ditch. At this point, he's got no other option. He ends up staggering home in a dazed condition. This was being treated as an assault case, and that case was handed over to Detective Con Ian Wark. Whenever he arrived at the clearing, he, he found a lot of police officers already there. After his investigation, Detective Wark told the BBC that he did indeed find strange marks on the ground, about 32 holes. Each were about three and a half inches in diameter. And there were also marks that seemed to be made by caterpillar tracks, like tank tracks. Detective Work thinks, hey, this is, this is a guy who works in forestry. Maybe, maybe this was a piece of forestry equipment that made these tracks. So he goes to the Livingston Development Corporation. Robert Taylor's employer. And he examined every piece of machinery they had and found no match. These, these marks, the tracks, the three and a half inch holes, the only place they were found was the clearing where Mr. Taylor had his experience. They just arrived. They didn't come from anywhere. They didn't go anywhere. Detective Work said that it just seemed though like a helicopter had dropped a piece of equipment down and then took it off. The Some of the marks on the ground indicated that whatever object had left them, that it had weighed several tons. There was no rational explanation for these marks. As part of the investigation, the ripped pants 
were put under a forensic examination. Now, remember, there was there was no DNA techniques back then, but they did say that these had been damaged by something hooking them and then moving up. The These types of rips, they don't happen by getting snagged on thorns or bushes. This was something different than that. So what do the skeptics say about Robert Taylor's incident? A little bit of everything. Some believe that it was caused by the local wa- water authority. Uh, Patricia Hannaford said that it was temporal lobe epi- epilepsy. Uh, others point to, you know, Taylor had meningitis 14 years ago. He smelled something hot. He was having a stroke. Uh, Steve Donnelly said, yeah, it was an epilepsy attack. And uh, the attack was stimulated by a mirage from Venus. I'm not kidding. This is on the Wikipedia page. The, they're blaming a, 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 an epilepsy attack and Venus as a mirage. And a nearby saucer-shaped water tower. And that's all fine and good. I'm not saying that can't happen, although the the epilepsy and Mirage Venus, that sounds total BS, quite honestly. But what about the marks? What about the marks on the ground, the caterpillar tracks that didn't match up to any piece of equipment that the police could find? What about the holes in the pants? It's all well and good if you can find an explanation. But whenever the explanation starts to approach the ridiculousness of the incident itself, maybe that was a bit harsh. Because, I mean, this wasn't ridiculous to, to, to Mr. Taylor. This was terrifying. This was life-changing. But whenever... Whenever the explanations become more outrageous than the act itself, you gotta, you gotta go, let's calm it. This man has had something horrible happen to him. If it was a medical incident, he needs help. If it, if it really happened, he needs help. I want to talk to you about something I found the other day. I found a group called the Opus Network. If if you've had an incident like Robert Taylor's or something akin to something else, and you're having a hard time getting the mental health you need, and I'm here to tell you, Your mental health is important. It took me a long time to realize that. Because, you know, as a man growing up in the 70s and the 80s, you know, you're supposed to tough it out. Men don't have feelings. Men don't show their feelings. Right? I'm here to tell you that was killing me. If you've had an incident and no one's believing you, and, and you're having trouble dealing with it mentally. 
please, please, please reach out to the Opus Network. It's, they're a group of professionals. They're not going to try to explain your situation away. They're going to listen to you and they're going to be willing to help you find professionals able to work with these extremely unique issues. You can find them at opusnetwork.org. I'm going to leave links on my Twitter, uh, Pathways Strange, my Facebook page, in the show notes of this. I'm, in fact, I'm probably going to promote them and, and they don't know I'm doing this. They're not paying me any money. I'm not in contact with anybody there, but I am going to promote them probably each and every episode. Opusnetwork.org, please. There's help out there for you if you've been experiencing something unusual like this and need help. Opusnetwork.org. Our final tale is going to take us back to June 22nd, 2022, Mount Davis, Pennsylvania. I used to live on Mount Davis. I miss Mount Davis. I miss it terribly. And I can say some unusual things happen on Mount Davis. Now, the witness goes by the name A.E., during the pandemic, which had us all locked down, A.E. and her husband, they enjoyed going for rides around Mount Davis. Now, let me tell you about Mount Davis. It is gloriously beautiful. Lake High Point is gorgeous. Uh, you can't get to it anymore, but you can, you can find uh, photos of it online. It's the blue hole of Mount Davis. It's this, it's this little pond that is so beautiful. Like, it's like walking into a Photoshop picture. Mount Davis is also the highest point in Pennsylvania. 3,213 feet above sea level. I think I got that right. It's, forested and whenever you go through there you're almost guaranteed to see a deer and that's exactly what AE was doing there's there's so many deer up there in fact I think the part of the lake that they're they're at they're at High Point Lake in the story I think this is actually the part of Mount Davis that's called Deer Valley It's 11 p.m. at night. And at 11 p.m., you're probably not going to come across anybody else. That night, though, the deer are acting strangely. They're kind of bedded down along the sides of the roads. Now, they're on the main road coming up the mountain 
from High Point Lake. And that's whenever a deer ran out in front of them. Now the deer stopped, it turned around, and then ran in the direction it came from. A.E. and her husband sat there for just a moment. They're kind of waiting because deer are frantic little creatures. They want to make sure that it doesn't run back out once they start moving. They want to make sure more deer don't run out. And there's an opening in the brush. Something catches the attention of A and her husband. Now, it's after 11 p.m. at this point. It's illegal to use a spotlight in Pennsylvania at this time. But you can still use a flashlight. A's husband holds the flashlight out the window. And whenever it hits the object that they saw, they're stunned. They're stunned. Now, I've seen a lot of unusual things on Mount Davis, but I have not seen an alien. And that's exactly what A.E. and her husband saw. In the opening to the right side of the road is an alien, and it stands as if in slow motion. It bends its knees to turn. It lifts its arm to reach for a limb, and it just stands there, staring at them. A.E. has her phone in her lap. She wants to take a picture. But the thoughts running through her mind are not allowing her to do so. She's thinking to herself, maybe to herself, maybe these thoughts are being put in her mind. What if I take a picture of it and it gets angry? So she doesn't. They just sit there looking at each other. Finally, she she tells her husband, just go. They get up the road just a little way and she says, what species do you think that was? And he goes, it was an alien. It's a gray humanoid alien. A.E. thinks... There was more going on during the COVID lockdown than they were told. We've talked before about how, about these aliens. They seem to be interested in nuclear bases, in nuclear power, in nuclear weapons. The rumor going around the school whenever, whenever I was, whenever I was in high school, early nineties, late eighties, was that there was a nuclear missile silo located on Mount Davis. How true that is, I don't know, but I can tell you this. Old man Rockwell lived on top of Mount Davis. Old man Rockwell was pretty important. Rockwell International. You don't hear much about Rockwell International anymore. 
but they were a manufacturing conglomerate involved in aircraft, the space industry, commercial electronics, automotive industry, printing presses, avionics, industrial products, and military defense. That's interesting to me. Because where they saw this creature at, well, I don't know if it's common knowledge where the Rockwells lived. I know it wasn't Willard Rockwell. I know it wasn't the founder. I can't remember what old man Rockwell's name was. We just knew him as old man Rockwell. Tough guy. Tough guy. But I know he was alive at least in 98. Has a massive, massive house. Up. Now, if you're familiar with, familiar with, uh, the area up close to Camp Bucky on Mount Davis. I mean, could there be a nuke up there? I suppose anything's possible. Thank you for joining us once again here on Strange Pathways. Please, if you are having mental health trouble dealing with a paranormal incident, I beg of you, please reach out to the Opus Network at www.opusnetwork.org. Our Twitter, Pathways Strange, TikTok, Strange Pathways Podcast. That's our Instagram as well, Strange Pathways Podcast. Head over to the Facebook. We are going to have couple images about the tales this week. And if you'd like to reach out to me personally, you can reach me at strangepathwaysmail at gmail.com. Over on YouTube, be sure to hit like, comment on the videos, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your family members, you know you got somebody that would absolutely adore this show. And I welcome them with open arms. Thank you one more time for joining us here this week. Take care of yourselves and each other.